Uh, this morning we are in Mark chapter 9. So I just invite you, if you have your Bibles, you can open there with me. We're going to read the passage, and then uh, I will pray, pray for our time. So, Mark chapter 9, verse 38. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Jesus, as we look to your word, we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us. We invite your Holy Spirit to soften the soil of our hearts, to receive from you, Lord, all that you have for us. Jesus, what a beautiful thing it is to gather together. So we invite you, Lord, just to to do a work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to start off with a little game this morning, so I'm going to survey the audience. So imagine yourself at someone's birthday party, and they offer you two types of cake, chocolate and vanilla. Who's going to go for the chocolate cake? A few of us. Who wants vanilla cake? I'm a vanilla I like vanilla cake. Okay, you're at a restaurant. The waitress tells you that we got Coke products, we got Pepsi products. Who wants Pepsi products? <laughs> Who wants Coke products? Of course, of course. All right, you and your loved ones are planning a vacation, and and you can go skiing at Sunshine in in Banff, or you can go find a beach in Hawaii. Who wants to go skiing? Yeah, one of us, okay. Who who wants to go to Hawaii? Yes, okay, for sure. Okay, this is my favorite one. Your alarm is going off in your bedroom. It's the morning. It's time to get up. You can hit snooze, or you can stay in bed. Who's going to hit snooze? (laughs) Really? Wow, this is a, you guys are great. Who, who gets out of bed? Sorry, I, I said that wrong, didn't I? The option is to hit snooze or get out of bed. How many of us get out of bed right away when their alarm goes off? Okay, good for you guys. And I'm a hit snooze guy. Who else? Who's with me? I hit snooze. I, I always hit snooze. Well, it's, it's pretty obvious to all of us that we face choices every single day, don't we? 
Throughout your day, you're coming, you're going, whether you're sitting in your car navigating traffic, whether you're trying to get your kids out the door, whether you're trying to get to school on time, whatever it is we are doing, we are facing choices all of the time. And some of these choices are as simple as whether or not you feel like chocolate cake or vanilla cake. But other choices that we make are a lot more significant, aren't they? Some of us find ourselves standing in, in a shopping mall or, or somewhere and we're, we're looking at products that we want, but maybe they're products we can't afford, but you know, we got, there's that line of credit, I got my credit card, and we're faced with a choice, do I spend or do I not spend? Or maybe some of us are, are, are going through life and we see someone who's in need, but man, I'm busy. I got places to be, I got things to do, and we're faced with the choice do I help this person or do I not help this person? Or maybe you're found in a situation in your life where, man, I could really get out of this difficult situation if I just told a little lie. You know, no one's going to get hurt. It's not a big deal. Just fudge the truth a bit. And you find yourself faced with the choice to lie or not to lie. Or maybe you're hanging out on the internet and you're, you're looking at different things and some links pop up. Websites that you know you probably shouldn't go to. Websites that maybe take your mind to places you know your mind isn't supposed to go and you're faced with the choice, do I click the link or do I not click the link? Or sitting with friends at, at a table and one of, the, one of your friends who isn't there, uh, people start talking about him or her. And you're faced with the choice, do I start to gossip with my friends or do I not gossip? Or finding yourself in the midst of a relationship where things aren't going great and you're angry at someone, they've crossed you, they've done you wrong. Am I going to forgive or am I going to not forgive? The list goes on and on and on. And friends, as Christians, those of us who are believers, we have God's word to help us navigate these choices. I believe not only that the Bible is true, but that the Bible is sufficient to speak to us about every single area of our lives. And while the Bible might not speak overly specific to, to these really minute details in any given choice, I believe that God's word helps us to navigate all of life's choices. And, and we can look at the Bible and say it's oppressive or, you know, it, it restricts me. It keeps me from doing the things that I want to do. But friends, when we think of the Bible that way, we miss what Pastor Norb started by praying for us this morning. That, that the Bible is God's heart for us. It's his words to us from a loving father. And, and God desires our absolute best. When Jesus came, and I say this all of the time because it's so important, when Jesus came, he said that he came to bring us life, life abundant, life to the full. And friends, as we live by God's word, we are walking in that life to the full. That abundant life, is it easy? Not necessarily. Is it demanding? At times. Is it frustrating? At times. But is it the path to life to the full? Absolutely. Yet, so often I find myself making decisions 
and making choices that I know are contrary to God's word. Too many times I've found myself facing, do I just lie a bit, maybe not, and, and making the wrong choice. Too many times I've seen that person who is maybe in need, and instead of slowing down and, and sacrificing a bit of my own time and resources, I just walk past. Too many times I make choices that I know are contrary to the word of God. How about you? When it comes to how you treat your friends, when it comes to how you carry yourself, whether at school or whether in your career, at your workplace, when it comes to you navigating life with your family, what kind of choices do you make? Well, this morning we come to this text in Mark chapter 9 that is, is a difficult teaching. But we need to pay attention to what's going on in the Gospel of Mark. Because Mark has been moving us along quite quickly. And if you remember, uh, back in chapter 8, we had this moment where Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ. He says, Jesus, you are the one that God sent to save us. And that is this pivotal moment in the Gospel of Mark. Because after that, Jesus, in three different occasions, and Mark points out each of them to us, Jesus predicts his death. And each time the disciples aren't really big fans of Jesus saying he's going to die. But after each one of those accounts, Jesus teaches us something about discipleship. Jesus talks about his death. The disciples don't like the teaching. Then Jesus goes on to teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be someone who lives their life for Jesus. Last week, Pastor Norb picked some of this up for us when talking about being servant-hearted people, being people who, who understand that the last will be first and that the first will be last, and who therefore live their lives for others. That is a teaching on discipleship. And this morning, this text follows right after that, more teaching on discipleship. And it's a difficult text because Jesus tells us that we need to cut off our arms. <laughs> what is that about? Well, we're going to unpack that this morning. But I think ultimately what Jesus is getting at here in this text is that when you and I are faced with the choice to sin or not to sin, to choose the way of the world or the way of Jesus, we need to choose the way of Jesus because the way of Jesus is better. When faced with the choice to sin or not to sin, to choose the way of the world or the way of Jesus, choose the way of Jesus, because the way of Jesus is better. Again, this passage does not get into the specifics of what those choices are. Rather, it is about how important our choices are. And Jesus invites us to choose him in two ways. First is that we are called to choose to set a Christ-like example. Or choose to set a Christ-like example. In verse 42, we read that whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Okay, what's going on here? Well, Jesus here is talking about those who are young in their faith. If we back up just a few verses to chapter, to verse 38, uh, we see this interesting interaction where the disciples are seeing someone cast out demons 
in Jesus' name, and they don't like it very much. And what's Jesus' response to them? No, don't, don't discourage him in this. You should encourage him in this. And from that point, he kicks off into this teaching. And so we understand by our context that, that the, the little one here is those who are young in faith. Those who are just catching the vision of Jesus. Those who are just seeing that the way of Jesus is a way of life and a way of power. And I just picture this person who maybe they come across someone in their life, someone who they love, who's demon-possessed. And they're, they're heartbroken about this. And they've heard about this guy named Jesus. And he's, they've watched this person, Jesus, cast out demons. And he thinks to himself, well, if if." Jesus' name is that kind of power. Maybe I can use that kind of power too to help my friend. And so in faith, this person goes and, and, and tries to cast out a demon. And so we have this person who, who's young in faith, who's just checking this whole Jesus thing out. And Jesus says to his disciples that we should not discourage them. We shouldn't keep them from walking in the way of Jesus. And Jesus goes even further that if we do discourage them, if we lead them on another way, if we cause them to sin, well, it'd be better for us to have a millstone tied around our necks and have us thrown into the sea. That's a strong picture. Now, being drowned in the sea was at the time a form of capital punishment. So to bring that into our day and age, basically Jesus is saying it is better for you to live on death row than to lead someone astray. Again, this is harsh, heavy teaching, isn't it? It kind of punches you in the gut. <laughs> but that's what Jesus is going for. And the message here is that Jesus really cares about his kids. Jesus cares about you and I growing in maturity. Jesus cares about us coming to know him more. And he has strong words for those who are going to keep people from growing in the way of Jesus. So what is the lesson for us from this first choice? We need to ask ourselves this question. What is the example that I am setting with my life? Am I drawing people to the love and the hope of Jesus? Or am I pushing them away? Am I drawing people to the love and the hope of Jesus? Or am I pushing them away? See friends, there's this reality that if someone knows that you're a Christian. If someone knows that you attend church on a Sunday morning. They're going to associate what Jesus is like. By the way that you live your life. And unfortunately, that's just the way that it is. <laughs> there isn't this whole, you know, do as I say, not as I do thing going on when it comes to us setting an example. But if someone knows that you are a churchgoer or a Christian, they're going to watch how you live your life. And as they watch you, their understanding of who Jesus is is going to be affected by the way that you live your life. Friends, is the example that you set one that leads people to Jesus or one that pushes them away? I think about in my own life, whether I'm sitting in traffic and how I interact with other drivers, 
Whether I'm shopping in a mall, how do, I, how do I interact with the staff there? Whether I'm at work with my coworkers, my teammates on my sports team, or better yet, the, the opposing team that I'm playing against, what's the example that they see? And we can zoom in even more to our own family lives, grandparents, parents, what example are you sitting, setting for your children or your grandchildren? I've heard it said that parenting is seeing all of your own flaws and weaknesses walking around on two little legs. <laughs> Man, that's the truth. You know, I have an eight, 18-month-old at home, right? She's super little. She's just starting to put words together. And something both me and my wife do is that if we're in a, a moment of transition between I'm doing laundry or the dishes or I'm... You know, I'm trying to figure out what's the next thing. We will often pause and go, okay. You know, we, it's like we, we think and then we go, okay. And so Jeline and I have both noticed that we'll do this. We'll go, okay. And then there's this echo in the house. This, this little 18-month-old voice, okay. <laughs> okay. And we're like, man. It, it, it's like I didn't even realize I was saying Okay. My 18-month-old picked up that I was saying, okay. Now, that's really cute. But friends, it's also terrifying. So what else is she picking up? And that's such a practical example of someone seeing someone else doing something and learning from it. Friends, the little ones in our lives need to see us demonstrate to them the person of Jesus. We need to set examples of godliness, examples of purity, examples of a love for God and a love for other people. We need to recognize that the way we live our lives says something about who Jesus is. And we need to take the seriousness of Jesus' words and recognize that, man, God loves his kids. And recognize that we have an opportunity to be a part of seeing someone become more like Jesus. And take that seriously. So Jesus sets this up. He says we need to choose to, to live a Christ-like example. We need to be conscientious of the little ones we see in our lives. We need to set a good example. Now several weeks ago we talked about purity. Purity. When Jesus was teaching on purity and this whole idea that the Pharisees thought that if they did all the right things on the outside, that they would be pure. And if you remember this teaching from Mark, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Our purity flows from the inside. So in a similar fashion, Jesus starts by talking about the external. What do people see? What's, what's going on on the outside? Are you encouraging them in the way of Jesus or are you not? But then as Jesus does, he transitions to the heart. And not only do we need to choose to set a Christ-like example, but we need to choose to live lives of righteousness. So Jesus goes from talking about how our sin might affect those around us. Now he's talking about how our sin actually affects ourselves. And he says we need to choose to live a life of righteousness. And he says, he says this with these strong words. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. 
If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell. Okay, wow. Jesus, what's going on? Cut off your arm. (laughs) Welcome to church. If this is your first time at church, we don't talk about this on a regular basis. (laughs) This isn't like a thing we do, right? Okay, everyone here, we got two arms, you know. Um... What's Jesus saying here? Uh, I love reading the commentators on this. because First of all, I have to state the obvious. Don't go home and cut off your arm or cut off your leg. Don't go home and gouge your eye out. Um, in fact, the Old Testament prohibits self-mutilation. Like it's, it is not, that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. And I, I got to love what the commentators say about this because it's so funny because we read this and there's this shock to it, but one commentator named James Edwards, he writes this thing, we got it up on the screen. The instruction to hack off body parts that cause one to stumble is an example of metaphoric hyperbole, characteristic of Jesus and is not meant to be taken literally. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, the commentators don't even have fun with this. They're just, you know, here we go. Um, So Jesus just instructed his disciples again on on how sin can affect others. And now he zooms into our individual lives and invites us to see that sin makes us stumble. And to summarize this section, I believe what Jesus is saying here is do whatever it takes to keep yourself from sin. How you live your life matters. What's Jesus saying? Friends, do whatever it takes to keep yourself from sin. Take drastic measures if you have to. Why is that? Well, three times in this passage, Jesus references hell. And uh, this word hell uh, is in the Greek, Gehenna. Your Bible probably has a footnote uh, that takes you to the bottom that says the Greek is Gehenna. And the reason that is is because Gehenna was a literal place in Jesus' day. And it was very simply Jerusalem's dump. It's south of the city and it was constantly on fire, burning the trash. And in Jesus' day it had become a metaphor for the fate of someone after they die for not choosing God's way. So Jesus wasn't the only one to talk about Gehenna. Other teachers would, would use this reference to Gehenna. But essentially Jesus is saying, look guys, if there's sin in your life, it has consequences. If if you're living life your way and rejecting God's way, there's consequences to that. And we might look at this text and say, whoa, Jesus, you're being really, really harsh. Like, really? Hell? Suffering? Come on. Well, it's interesting. Jesus isn't saying anything new at all. This whole concept, this idea is, is seen throughout Scripture. I want to take us to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this is before God is leading uh, the people into the promised land. And, and we'll, we'll read this quickly here. This is what he says to his people. See, I have set before you today life and good, there's one choice, and death and evil, there's another choice. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rule, then you shall live 
and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So do you hear this life to the full thing? What's God saying? God's saying, I've given you my words. I've instructed you in how to live. If you live the way I've called you to live, which isn't just the way he's called us to live, it's the way he's designed us to live. He's saying, if you live this way, you're going to flourish. Life is going to be good. And he goes on. But if your hearts turn away, if you choose not to walk in that way, And you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth as a witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. He's putting before them a choice. Do you want to live God's way, the way of life? Or do you want to live out of your own desires, your own ambitions, your own stuff, the way of the world? Well, that leads to death. And the picture we have here, and I think the same picture we can get in Mark, is that it's not so much that God is... is is coming along and like a father just smacking people up the side of the head saying, I told you. It's rather that people are choosing life apart from God and life apart from God has consequences. It's that simple. You can't play with fire and not be burned. So the question then is, how do we choose God's way? I have way too many points under here, but we'll move through them quickly. How do we choose God's way? Well, number one is that we choose a life of prayer and dependence. We choose to live life in a way where we are on our knees before God. Where we are saying to God, God, I need you. I need your help. Back when we, we, we taught through the book of Ephesians, we pointed out that Paul highlights to us that um, that the, the culture, the way of the world, that our own sinful desires and that the devil, the enemy of our soul, are all working against us, trying to keep us from living God's way. And I don't know about you, but that type of opposition, me on my own, I don't do very well. Over and over and over again in in God's word, we're called to live a life of prayer. where We're on our knees before God saying, Lord, we need you. We need you. And God answers that prayer, responds to that prayer, and he gives us his Holy Spirit. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, we read that, that the Holy Spirit is one of power. That God empowers our lives and helps us to, to choose his way. Secondly, we need to choose drastic measures. Choose drastic measures. You know, that's what Jesus is doing here in Mark 9. If you got sin in your life, do whatever it takes. We need to cut things out of our lives that are keeping us from following Jesus. You know, I used to have this little growth on my pinky. (laughs) 
maybe sounds weird. I, used to, I thought it was a wart, and I'd put wart stuff on it, and, and I'd always, it, that didn't do anything, and I'd be, just be picking at it. And my pinky was always bleeding. And it was incredibly annoying, as you can imagine. And so eventually, after a couple years of this, I, I went to the doctor, and the doctor's like, oh yeah, it's just some sort of thing, and he wasn't worried about it. Um, but I asked if I could get it removed. He said, well, yeah, you can get it removed, but it's a cosmetic surgery. It's completely unnecessary, and it's going to cost you money. Well, I was so annoyed by this thing. I was like, yeah, like, let's get rid of it. So I go in, and within 15 minutes, right, they've removed this thing from my finger, and it's completely gone. But I think about that. It's like, man, my finger was always bleeding. How did I stop the bleeding? Well, I cut something off, and it healed, and now it's better. But it, all it took was me recognizing, man, like, if I want to get rid of this, I, I got to get rid of it. If I want to stop the bleeding, I got to get rid of this thing. Friends, it's the same way in our lives. If we want to stop the sinning, we got to get rid of the things that are causing us to sin. It's so simple. Early on in my marriage, one Christmas, I decided to buy myself a PlayStation. I'm going to cross the line here for a lot of you. Um, so I bought a PlayStation and enjoying playing these games and I, you know, I was living in Calgary and I was playing online with friends from Edmonton and that was great and all these things. And, but man, it was eating away at my time. I wasn't spending a lot of time with my wife. I wasn't spending a lot of time in the Word. Um, and not only that, but the type of games I was playing. It was affecting the way I think. It was affecting my perspective on things. And in a time of prayer, it was so clear. God's like, get rid of the PlayStation. It's just a game. It's fun. It's entertainment. Yes, Adam, but it's keeping you from me. Yes, Adam, but it's, it's taking your eyes off of me and putting it somewhere else. Get rid of it. So I had to sell my PlayStation. For me, it was sin. I couldn't handle having that device in my life. For others of us, I'm sure as we sit here, we can think of things. For some of you, it's, it's the relationship you have with your iPhone or your smartphone. You know, my wife and I have set up rules in our house that our iPhones sit at the door. We get home, we take our iPhones out of our pockets, they sit at the door. We don't need that in our house. We don't need to be distracted from each other. And frankly, as a man, I don't need to be tempted with all the crap that's available to me at the palm of my hand. You know, so many of us, we can struggle with sin. Men, who are, men and women who are struggling with pornography, they refuse to get rid of the iPhone. What does Jesus say? Cut it off. Get rid of it. If it's keeping you from God, if it's leading you into sin, get rid of it. We could go on and on with examples. But friends, we need to choose drastic measures to keep sin out of our lives. Thirdly, choose obedience even when it's hard. Man, when I felt the Lord telling me to get rid of my PlayStation, like, but, 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 it's my PlayStation. I play on it and stuff. It's fun. And we, we can have these dialogues in our heads. Everyone's doing it. 
Everyone has a smartphone. Every, everyone is engaging in life in this way. Everyone makes these decisions. I don't want to do this. Friends, when we start living that way, we step into this reality where we want God's kingdom, but we don't want the king. We want God to come and make everything right, but we don't actually want his lordship or his leadership or his direction in our lives. Jesus said it in, in the Gospels. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? There's a whole branch of Christianity where people want the kingdom, but they don't want the king. Friends, if you want that life to the full, that kingdom reality in your life, you can't have that without the rule and the reign of Jesus. And frankly, the sin that we cling to, it's just a counterfeit version of the full life that Jesus has for us. We think that PlayStation is going to satisfy us. We think that pornography is going to satisfy us. We think that certain relationships are going to satisfy us and make us happy. But all of them are counterfeit versions of the full life that Jesus has for you. And when we read the Gospel of John, we have Jesus saying things like, I am the bread of life. I'm going to satisfy you. I am the light of the world. I bring you hope and peace and joy. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In me, you have direction. You have something that anchors you, something that leads you along in life. But it's like we close our ears to all of that and try to wander through life. And we wonder where God is. Friends, Jesus is better. So choose obedience even when it's hard. Fourthly, choose ownership over blame. It's so easy to say that the poor choices that we make are because of our circumstances or our upbringing. Or we could look at other people and say, well, you know, this person, I just... Ah. You know, our, our culture has an undercurrent that says, says to us that we need to go easy on ourselves, but be hard on others. You know, ah, oh, it's okay, you know, it's grace, just be easy on yourself. You know, but if someone's doing something that culture doesn't agree with, go after them. But last week, Pastor Norb talked to us about this kingdom reality, where, where in God's kingdom, those who are first are last, and last are first. That to be a great leader, we need to be servants of all. Well, in the same way, I think in God's kingdom, that we need to be loving and sensitive towards others, but ruthless with the sin in our own lives. We need to be loving and sensitive towards others, but ruthless with the sin in our own lives. So we need to stop playing the blame game. And choose to own that sin and deal with it. Fifthly, we need to choose to live a life of worship. Not just moments of worship, but a life of worship. Our text here in verse 47, this is how it ends. And it, um, not verse 47, verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I've completely run out of time, but what's going on here? Jesus, in referencing salt, is pointing us back to Leviticus chapter 2. Fire and salt were used for sacrifice. 
So these references should cause us to think about what a proper sacrifice was. And I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples here is that we need to be the pleasing sacrifice. That even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, we need to let our lives be a pleasing sacrifice to God. It's a call for us to live a life of worship. It's a call for us to live our lives in right relationship with God and with others. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 12, a very familiar verse where he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that, the testing, that by the testing of your faith you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, a, a speaker and author, Erwin McManus, uh, once asked this question in speaking. He asked the question, what is the most worshipful thing that you do? What is the most worshipful thing that you do? We'll go to the last slide here. Um, yeah. So one of the greatest acts of worship for us is when we choose. When we choose God's way over our way. When we say yes to God and no to our own sinful desires. Worship is so much more than what we do on Sunday mornings. But every choice that we face, we have the opportunity to worship and to say to God that all we are is His. Lord, it's difficult. This choice is difficult. This choice is going to lead to people judging me and making fun of me and probably talking about me behind my back. But I choose to worship. I choose to worship. Friends, Jesus demonstrated this for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus, looking to the cross, prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will. And this morning we come to the table to remember that sacrifice, to remember all that Jesus has done for us. And to receive from him the power and the grace that we need to choose his ways over ours. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, it's my prayer that by the grace of your spirit, you would empower us to live lives that choose your way over our way. Lord, let that be so. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite those who are helping to distribute these elements this morning to join me here at the front. and.